Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, because the Kingdom of God is at hand. But what is this Kingdom of God? I saw somebody sent uh, a picture about, uh, showed sheep, and it showed uh, a protection dog in with the sheep, and evidently the protection dog was covered with blood, and one sheep is over sniffing the protection dog, and and they were talking about sheep and wolves and wolves and sheep's clothing and all that stuff in the uh, little comment on the picture. But I pointed out that the, uh, the the picture was not, they referred to the dog as a sheep dog. And of course it sort of could be related to sheep, but it's a specifically a protection dog. It was uh, one of the... Uh, European breeds or Eastern European breeds of protection dogs that often work in the mountains. And uh, that's not really what we would call a sheep dog. That's a protection dog, a sheep protection dog, but it's a protection dog. It actually lives in with the sheep. It, you start a pup out in the lambing barn so that it just lives with the sheep as a very low heart rate. And it likes laying around about 90% of the day. And the sheep are absolutely comfortable with its presence. They don't hardly even notice when it moves about. Uh, sometimes they're white, kind of like sheep. Uh, but their role is not the role of a sheep dog. Uh, it's not the role of a shepherd either. It's uh, actually an assistant to the shepherd. But it's more like the role of the judges in the Old Testament. Now, a sheepdog, it's supposed to guide the sheep away from danger and to safety to bring it to green pastures. And it's mostly kind of, we call them black and white units out here because we use border collies. And uh, what they kind of do are to, if they see the sheep going in a direction that is not good or a sheep is wandering off into a dangerous area, they will move those sheep back and they keep the sheep together in a herd. And uh, they play a role too. And supposedly they're listening to the shepherd who's saying, you know, like uh, somebody's wandering away there. You need to uh, get their attention back on the rest of the flock or you need to keep them together. We had sheep before that would like to get a group of sheep to follow them and then they would lead those sheep away from the main herd. And uh, so they had a some herding instinct, but they were always, they were the core sheep of the flock. They were trying to get a little group together and move them away in their little direction. And so a sheepdog would sometimes up the ante because a sheepdog's not going to eat you. Like we had uh, had one young black-faced sheep that uh, came from a black-faced ram that somebody gave us, and uh, and uh, it uh, the black-faced sheep are farm flocks. They don't have the range instincts of staying together, so they would wander off up the hill looking to feed their bellies. Like there's something 
up the hill that was better for them or more tasty or whatever. They were just willing to look beyond where the herd was going because the herd wasn't as important to them as their own bellies. But they would not go up by themselves. They would try to get several other sheep to follow them. And they got several other young lambs to follow them. And, and we saw this as the sheep got older as a lamb. It kept leading three, four, five white-faced sheep, lambs, away from the flock and take them up this hill. We knew there were wolves up on, on those hills and coyotes. We'd actually seen a wolf track. And we knew it was a very dangerous place to go. But, and we would send the border collie up and chase them back down to the, the flock. I mean, we're dealing with miles of distance here where they'd actually get a half a mile or three quarters of a mile away from the flock, which is just outrageous on the range. You can't do that. Anyway, uh, no matter how many times we chased them down, uh, to the flock and to the fields where the grass was actually way better, uh, they continued to try to go up there. And uh, we'd actually see the coyote tracks crossing the paths of the lambs sometimes when we walked up there to try to bring them back. Uh, and they just wouldn't learn. Eventually, they would be killed and eaten. And they would know better. <laughs> You have to intervene sometimes before we get to that point. And uh, that's that's kind of what the shepherd's job is to do. And the border collie just saves him the legwork of running around and doing that. The border collie is not supposed to do these things on their own. Occasionally they will develop a habit of doing them. And even though the master not, might not be there, they'll do them anyway if they're a good border collie, but uh, they are an extension of the arm of the shepherd. Now, the uh, protection dog, he's kind of on his own. I mean, he's developed a rapport with the sheep. He protects the sheep. It's the sheep. He identifies with the sheep as his territorial imperative. And so, therefore, anything that comes near his sheep, he will want to attack. Now, this has been bred into him and ideas to the contrary has been bred out of him and uh, I've seen it where the protection dog will just lay there and you think like what is he doing but you hear a coyote howl in the distance and he's trotting across through the woods heading for that coyote and he's pretty effective on coyotes and bobcats Uh, wolves are sometimes a little bit more difficult to deal with we don't have a lot of wolves here. We have some wolves. They were brought in by the government. And they were not the local wolves that used to be here hundreds of years ago. They are uh, big, huge Canadian timber wolves. <laughs> so they are really not an asset to the community or to the uh, even to nature. They actually are very detrimental to nature in this area. They're, they're too big. Uh, there's no counter predator, and they will, uh, they are decimating the deer and elk herds. But that's another whole topic. What we were going to talk about today is critical theory in relationship to critical thinking. 
And so I, I sidetracked a little bit to the, that, uh, little mem that somebody had on Facebook about sheep and, uh, shepherds and, uh, sheep and wool, uh, wolves clothing or wolves and sheep's clothing. And, uh, that's because people don't understand those relationships of a shepherd. What a good shepherd is. What is his role? What is his design? How is a good shepherd operating? I mean, Seth, uh, Cain and Abel, Abel was a shepherd, uh, but Cain was this tiller of Adama. And those of you who have listened a long time understand that those are metaphors explaining structures of government. Structures of the way in which you relate to one another, which is what we call government. Government is how you come together. Now, there's lots of different kinds of government and lots of different kinds of social structures of government. And social structure in the kingdom is fashioned along a particular line with particular parameters but most governments are not that way. And if you start talking about critical theory or what is also an offshoot of that, critical race theory, you will start to see that uh, uh, something's wrong with the way in which people perceive reality. Now, the individual put up that mem. He just said, well, that's a sheepdog. But somebody like me, who's actually been a keeper of flocks, a shepherd... I see that that's not a sheep dog, that's a protection dog. That dog lives in with the sheep. The border collie is on the perimeter of the sheep and he is just an extension of the arm of the good shepherd. And so these are different relationships and understanding those relationships and how they fit together will help you understand the difference between a shepherd and a tiller of Adama, of the soil, of mankind. That's what Cain was. He was a tiller of mankind. He plowed man. He put him in rows. He organized men. He told them how to stand together and where to stand and when to do this and when to do that. And with that power came more power or the desire for more power. And... uh God allows both governments, forms of government. The shepherd leads his flock. He guides his flocks. He leadeth them beside the still waters. He maketh them to lie down in green pastures. He uh, leads them through the valley of the shadow of death so that he does not end up where the coyotes and the wolves and the bobcats and mountain lions are so that he will be saved. And that's that's a different way of approaching that government of God. See, Abel was following the pattern of the government of God, and Cain was following the pattern of the government of men. Now, Cain could be that governor of men and ruler over men in a way that is righteous because he allows men the power to exist. And we see Gideon in the Bible who would not rule over the people but he was chosen as a leader. 
we see Saul chosen as a leader and actually made a king. And so therefore he could now be the chief executive officer in a government that had no such thing before. Except for if you go back to Gideon. Gideon was sort of that for a short period of time when they had to have a war. But then he said, I and my family will not rule over you. Saul, on the other hand, was content with the idea of ruling over them. But of course he didn't have any sons, but he wanted to make... Uh, eventually he wanted to make David his son because David had the popularity of the people and wanted him to marry his daughter and have offspring. But his kingdom was doomed to failure because Saul did a foolish thing. He took his power that he was given and extended it and expanded it exactly the way Samuel said that he would extend it and expand it. But now he actually did it. And so Samuel said, because you've done this foolish thing, your kingdom would not stand. Like Cain, he did went beyond what was right. And he had the power to do that. But it that power does not mean there won't be consequences for that power. So what did he do that was so foolish? That would cause his kingdom to not stand. It wasn't the fact that uh, that David and his daughter never had children. It was because he did this foolish thing. And that foolish thing was he forced an offering of the people. For a good cause. He forced the people to make a sacrifice. To give so that he could fund his military. Because he saw the enemy approaching and and preparing for war that he needed to fund his military and so he forced an offering. He taxed the people. Now, in such governments, they often can tax the people. Now, we can get into all the complexities of where what is a legal tax and what is an illegal tax. But governments of power usually have some way in which they can raise funds. Uh, in America, originally, they could only impose tariffs, which are are charges on people importing stuff into the community, and excise tax, which is taxes upon the things that you have that you don't actually own, but you only have the use of. You don't really own them. You have the use of them, so therefore, you can put an excise tax on those things. And that... That excise tax is a tax on the use of something you don't have a right to. And for instance, like alcohol, uh, they can tax you on alcohol. They put an excise tax, a little stamp tax on that tax. And we had the Whiskey Rebellion in America because people oppose that. I just heard somebody talking about the Whiskey Rebellion today. And then that was a place where... Washington actually sent troops because people rebelled against the whiskey tax. And they call that the Whiskey Rebellion. Well, was that tax legitimate or was that tax not legitimate? Where did that, where did they get the right to tax you on the manufacture of whiskey? Well, actually, I have a, uh, 
a bottle of whiskey in the house that's never ever been opened. It was given to me many, many years ago. <laughs> and I've kept it. It was given to me as a gift. I have have ne- never had any use of opening it. But uh, it's from the oldest distillery, uh, licensed distillery in the world. Uh, and it's, I believe it's in Ireland. I can't even remember now. You see how often I check the bottle out, but uh, it's a distillery there. And it, of course, has a stamp and sticker on it where somebody had to pay that use tax when they bought it. Now, they bought it here in America, and uh, uh, it is from Ireland. But uh, somewhere there was a tax in Great Britain, and there probably was another tariff tax on it when it was imported into the United States. And uh, so anyway, the point is, is somewhere along the line in the history of Great Britain, they decided that only the king had the right to tax anybody who made alcohol. In order to make alcohol, you had to heat it up. You had to ferment it and then heat it up and distill it. That meant you had to cut trees. Well, all the trees belonged to the king. So... Therefore, the burning of the of the the material to distill it was taxable because they figure you burned a tree somewhere. <laughs> so anyway, that's how that came about. When we had the American Revolution, Washington didn't own all the trees. Why is he still charging tax? Well, people did not understand back then. Some people probably did, and that's why there was a whiskey rebellion. But if we had thrown off the ways of kings and had really become pure republics, there could be no tax on uh, alcoholic beverages simply because you heated them up. And uh, if you actually use geothermal to heat it up and distill it, then, uh, you know, we have hot water wells out here in Summer Lake that can generate temperatures of several hundred degrees down in the well uh, enough so to actually boil the water it mixes with other water so it doesn't come out at, at two three hundred degrees but it is very hot at different places where you can take water from you could actually distill alcohol with the heat of the earth and then you wouldn't burn trees do you think we can get an exemption from the taxes on distilling alcohol if we did that no Everybody, they don't know the origin of things and the the pathway to power. And so they don't understand why those taxes are still legitimate. Now, they are still legitimate. And like income tax today, that's an excise tax. That's a tax on the use of your labor. If you use your labor, they can tax you on the use of your labor. How did that come about? Well, we've got articles and audios that explain how that came about. But it has come about. It was predicted that you would become entangled again in the elements of the world. It was predicted that through covetous practices you would become human resources or what they call merchandise. That you would curse your children with debt. All these prophecies were on. They have all happened. And you would return again to the bondage of Egypt where... The bondage of Egypt, you had to give 20% of your labor to Cain or to the government. You know, whatever, you know, to Saul. 
He could force the sacrifices because you waived a right to a portion of your labor, like in the days of Egypt and Pharaoh. 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh, and he could take that 20% right off the top. Now, in most countries today, they can take far more than 20%, but people do not understand the history of their own lives, their parents' lives, their grandparents' lives, the history of mankind, so they don't even know the process by which they go back into that bondage. But why is it important whether you go into that bondage or not? Because it is outside the form of God's government. You're supposed to be seeking God's government, the kingdom of God, but instead people have been seeking the kingdom of Cain, the kingdom of Nimrod, the kingdom of Pharaoh, the kingdom of Caesar. You know, for 500 years in Rome, that was a republic, once they threw out the Tarquinian kings, they they had no king. For hundreds of years in Israel, they had no king. But they had some form of government. Christ came and he said he was the king. This calling him Christ is saying he's king because that's calling him anointed. That's calling him the Messiah. That's calling him Messiah. All those words mean anointed. David was anointed. Therefore, David was king. Jesus was anointed. Therefore, Jesus was the Christ, which means anointed in the Greek. But today, most Christians have presidents and prime ministers. They don't have Jesus as their king. They have become entangled again in the elements of the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government, whereby it is worse with them than the bondage of Egypt. Bondage of Egypt, you only had to pay 20% of your labor to the government. In America, you... You have to pay 14, 15% in social security tax alone. Then you add income tax, social security, uh, uh, uh state tax, and, um, sales tax, and property tax, and gasoline tax. You have the gasoline tax. Gasoline is a distillant. <laughs> the same reason you have to pay taxes on whiskey is the same reason you have to pay taxes on gasoline, as far as the history of it goes. Now, I'm not bucking those systems. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying how they come about, understanding those relationships of history, and how we get to where we're at. Well, today, we look out in the news, and there are riots going on. Uh, There is almost insurrection. It may be a minority of people doing it, but there's a very fervent, loud minority that's out there uh, knocking down statues, burning down buildings. And why is that taking place? Where did it come from? Well, to some degree, it came by way of a Trojan horse called critical theory. And we're going to talk about critical theory, liberation theology, and a lot of these other things when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom so that you begin to understand all the history they did not teach you in school. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So we talked all about sheep and we talked about whiskey and we talked about all these other things. 
to show you that uh, a view of history helps you understand the present. To look at the past helps you understand the present. Now, that process is very important to understand yourself. In order to understand yourself, you have to look at your own past. Because in reality, you are often dragging your own past into the present because of trauma. And not just because of trauma, but because of unforgiveness. We're going to tie all that together eventually when we look at things like critical thinking and social structure and... And uh, But we're going to take a number of rabbit trails about statistics and about counting crimes and, and what all these statistics mean and the difference between correlation and causation and all these things. But the only reason we're looking at all these things is so that you understand yourself better. That is why you come together to understand yourself better so that the more you understand the more you unloosen the burdens of trauma and sin and and uh, and the vices that are popping up in your life the more you can build that relationship with God God is there God is the same yesterday as is today but you're different You've been changed by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. And so you have to take a look at yourself in order to see the rest of the world through clearer eyes. So I said we were going to look at this idea of critical theory. It's something, it's a philosophical approach to culture and especially to literature that seeks to confront the social, historical, and ideological forces and structures that produce and constrain it. So, what are these historical, ideological forces and structures that produce and constrain society and culture? Uh, That... That is up for grabs, evidently, because there's a lot of different thought on that. But it goes on, the term of critical theory is applied particularly to the works of a Frankfurt School, and critical theory is the, the reflective assessment and critique of society, culture, by applying knowledge from the social sciences and the humanities to reveal the challenge uh, power structures of society. Critical theory has origins in sociology and also literary criticism. Uh, it uh, basically the socialist Max Horkheimer describes a theory as critical insofar as it seeks to liberate human beings. From the circumstances that enslaved them. You know, there's a quote, and I probably can't remember the quote. Maybe I'll think of it during the next break. But uh, uh, it was, I first heard it uh, from uh, JFK, Kennedy, John Kennedy. And uh, he talks about, you know, seeing things that... uh, uh, were and seeing things that are not and 
believing that they can be again. And the exact quote, I can't recall it right now, but the the quote originally came from Satan speaking to Adam and Eve. <laughs> and he's quoting it as a campaign slogan. And uh, But it's actually the words out of the mouth of Satan in an early literature, uh, literary work. So, the reality is that when anybody talks about liberating human beings from the circumstances that enslave them, they very well may be talking about creating circumstances that enslave them. Because they're offering you something that you can't get. You know, I mean, this is what Satan was doing. He was offering to Eve that you can become like God. If you just disobey God, then you will be like God. And this argument passes, uh, this same approach to thinking you'll find in, uh, in the treatment of gender and, and sexual preference, they call it, and, uh, social justice, uh, hegemonic powers, racism. They're always using these things, and you'll find it a great deal in critical theory and also what they call critical race theory, which is just an offshoot of critical theory. But basically, it's a Marxist approach to things. It's a demonic approach to things. And what it is actually missing is something that we will talk about in greater detail called critical thinking. And critical thinking, in order, if you... Do a study of what they call critical thinking, the characteristics of critical thinking. You will find out that's exactly what Jesus was talking about, exactly what Moses was talking about, exactly what all the prophets were talking about. The characteristics necessary for critical thinking are what they are talking about, and the characteristics necessary for critical theory is what Satan was talking about. So critical theory is a satanic production and, and and orchestration of thinking that is opposed to critical thinking, opposed to Christ, opposed to liberty. While they promise you liberty, they will actually deliver you into bondage. While they promise you freedom from fear, they will bring you under the power of fear. They will do the absolute opposite of what they are promising because they are the adversaries of the truth. They are the lie. But anyway, so critical theory is is not the result of critical thinking, which is this uh, analysis of facts to form a judgment the subject is complex and several different definitions exist which generally include the rational, skeptical, unbiased analysis or evaluation of factual evidence. Well, what is critical theory biased or unbiased? Critical thinking has to be unbiased. Critical thinking is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective thinking. That's, that's actually a quote. It 
presupposes assent to rigorous standards of excellence and mindful command of their use. Okay, presupposes. Doesn't make it so. It just presupposes that you will have this rigorous standard. But it is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective. If self is selfish, if self is not honest, neither will critical thinking be honest. So again, you have to look at yourself. You have to know yourself. You have to be honest about yourself. Or you will be incapable of critical thinking and you will fall prey to critical theory. And that's actually what we're seeing. That is why there are riots in the streets today. That is why people are toppling statues. Because they haven't been willing to see the truth about themselves. They haven't been willing to see the truth about their communities, about their families, about their relationships with one another. Because they're not willing to see the truth about that, they are easily led astray. And of course then I'll take you back to the the wolf in sheep's clothing. The the pastor who leads people away because he's not really willing to look at the truth. See, the same principles that we're talking about in critical thinking are absolutely essential to reading the Bible. Somebody was asking a question today about how do you know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Well, I'm not sure why you need to know that as far as proof is concerned. Because if you read the Bible, you're not necessarily reading the inspired word of God because what you're reading is analyzed by your mind. If if you're reading the Bible and you're not understanding it, what your mind is hearing is not the Word of God. It's hearing your understanding of what you're reading. You're, see, that's the thing is that whatever you read, whether it's a King James Version or the original Greek or the original Hebrew or the earliest Hebrew that we have, it is all subject to your interpretation. This is why you have so many, 40,000 different denominations is because people read the Bible, but they are not inspired to understand the Bible. That's the essential thing. When reading the Bible, you need to be inspired by God to make it the inspired Word of God. Because what you're reading is subject to your interpretation your analyzation of what you're reading. So, you're self-interpreting the Bible. People say, well, the Bible interprets itself, and then they go through these big, long intellectual arguments about why this means that and that means that. And we do that, too. But mostly we do that to tear down the intellectual arguments that people have already accepted that just ain't so. So, but... We know the only way they're going to understand the Bible or what we're saying is through the Holy Spirit in them. And the only way the Holy Spirit can live in you is that you're willing to be critical. You're willing to see yourself as you are. 
to see the truth about yourself. Because until you're willing to see the truth about yourself, you will not see the truth. Because you do not have eyes to see or ears to hear. If I read you the Bible, you're not going to understand what it's talking about unless you're willing to understand yourself and your relationship with God or where your relationship with God is lacking. Because unless you're walking on water and raising the dead, your relationship with God is probably lacking somewhere. This is why Christ starts off with a command to seek. Talks about persevering. Talks about striving. He doesn't talk about arriving simply because you had a thought. But modern Christianity says, when were you saved? And they think there's a date and an hour and a time where you were saved. Christ never talks about that. Vaguely, you know, he talks to a guy who defends Christ while he's hanging on the cross himself. And uh, he's just tied up there. He isn't nailed up like Christ is. But he's defending Christ against the other guy who's mocking Christ. And he and Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. So it seems like there's some sort of instant event. I can guarantee you the energy and power and strength that that man manifested to defend Christ while he was hanging on a cross didn't just happen in a moment. It was something that man was probably struggling with and working towards for a long time before he ended up on the cross. You have to remember the only reason anybody is hung on a cross in those days of Rome was sedition. They were some sort of rebels. He was pro- The other two guys were probably zealots. Probably. Just a wild guess that they were zealots who were trying to overthrow the government, insurrection, in order to establish a new government. And the crime, that crime would be punishable by hanging on a cross. It wasn't because he stole some bread somewhere or something. That's that's not the way they treat. Thieves were not hung on crosses. What, it was somebody who tried to steal power. Because it's really all about power. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if we... Go back to the definitions. Like I say, this presupposes this ascent to rigorous standards. Critical thinking does. As excellence and and the mindful command of their use. It entails effective communication and problem-solving abilities as well as a commitment to overcome native egocentrism. And sociocentrism. And it is the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. Hopefully a correct judgment. So what is egocentrism? Thinking only of oneself without regard for the feelings or desires of others. Self-centered. Wouldn't that be the antithesis of loving thy neighbor as thyself? Egocentrism is the antithesis of loving thy neighbor as thyself. Moses said you had to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus said you had to love your neighbor as yourself. Moses said you had to give drink to your enemy. Jesus said you even had to love your enemy. What they are explaining to you is one of the essentials of critical thinking. (laughs) So that you are not thinking only of oneself. The family is designed by God. It is the institution of God. It is really one of the only institutions of God. One of the only institutions. There is another one. Your government is probably not an institution of God. He allows you to create that, but it is based on Cain. It is not based on the Good Shepherd. The Republic may have been, but the democracy certainly is not. But anyway, we'll explain more of that later, so don't get too worried about that right now. What's sociocentrism? It's a, a tendency to assume the superiority or rightness of one's own social group. Critical thinking does away with sociocentrism. Critical theory is dependent upon that. (laughs) So it's a completely... uh, Critical theory is the antagonist. To critical thinking. It it cannot allow critical thinking. Critical theory views their own version of reality, or I should say theorists, view their own version of reality through a lens of power. Dividing the people into groups of either the oppressed or the oppressor. But then they continue to divide through their rhetoric and their focus and their intellectual uh, analyzation of things, of historical and ideological forces and structures. They focus on race, class, gender, sexual orientation, abilities, uh, age groups, uh, nationalities. They actually say they're going to be inclusive of all these things. But by merely saying they're going to be inclusive of all these things, they have already divided these things up in their own mind. You see the same pattern of Satan talking to Eve. We're going, we're going to be inclusive of race, class, gender, abilities, age, But first we have to divide everybody up into race, class, gender, abilities, and age. They're actually doing the opposite because they can't see that. Because they're about power. The power of the individual. Them. At the expense of every other individualism. Every other individual. Which is why this whole idea of critical theory is really a Marxist approach. Uh, socialists. It's very popular with socialists. There's a guy named uh, Clark uh, Sheeby. And he's the director of uh, Labrie Fellowship in Victoria. And I'm just using him as an example. There's a lot of other people uh, that we could talk about. But, you know, in British Columbia, he stated the idea that social justice is the end goal of Christianity. I can't disagree with that statement. If, even when you talk about Christianity as what Christ taught, 
He His goal is social justice. If the kingdom of God is to be realized in our day, we may need to change our thinking in the pursuit of of this justice to a moral pursuit of justice, void of the covetous practices so common today amongst modern Christians. So I don't disagree with what he said. I may disagree with him, and we'll mention him a few more times whenever I talk about Shebe. I'm talking about Clark Shebe. from uh, British Columbia. And uh, he has a podcast and stuff like that. And I listened to some of them, but it's been almost a year since I've even heard anything. So I can't really remember everything that he said. But when I started this article on critical theory, uh, I ended up coming across him. But I'm reading from our page at Preparing You, uh, Critical Theory, and it may change or alter some more, but I think I'm pretty much done with it. I want to get on to the minor prophets so you can start to understand them. But the reality is there's some links there to other articles like Modern Christians and Coveted Practices and Social Justice so that you begin to understand these terms from the point of view of kingdom thinking. Because kingdom thinking is critical thinking. And critical thinking requires that you look at things in more depth. It is the inadequate approach of modern Christians in the practice of pure religion which has corroded their beliefs, corroded their confidence in God and in the Bible. How many people do you know think they are atheists? They don't believe in religion. I'm not religious. I'm a socialist. And of course, I've quoted people who said socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Because most people who think they're religious don't even know the definition of the word religion because that was changed in the last 200 years from the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man to what you think about a supreme being. And we have articles on that as well. But we are commanded by Christ to pursue justice in attending to the weightier matters, which he calls law, justice, mercy, and faith. As Christians, we are to be pursuing social justice. It is the end goal of Christianity, as Shebe says. But how we pursue it must be like Christ. And of course, That's why Christ didn't just say, seek the kingdom of God, but he said, seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And so that's a considerably different thing. Shebe considered several questions. How did we get here? What is at work? How does it relate to biblical Christianity? And finally, is there a way forward? Critical theories... Advent in the Christian World and How to Respond by Rick Plasterer, who I was quoting here in in what she be considers. The the reality is, is that most of the people who think they are Christians are not actually doing even the simplest of instructions that Christ gave his church and commanded them to even do. And because of that, they are looking for answers elsewhere. And I don't know how many people that are out there writing also think they're Christians. That would be an interesting survey to take. Uh, 
but they certainly are not Christians. Most of the people protesting are not Christians because they saw the reports of George Floyd on the news and they did not approach what they were seeing with critical thinking. They did not, they could not observe and that's why we, we actually have a page up on George Floyd that people don't understand. I looked at some other cases of what they call, you know, that they're trying to hold up police. They want to get rid of police. They don't necessarily want to get rid of the FBI. That's very fascinating where they, they're not against the police, but they, uh, they are against the police, but they are not against the FBI. But the reality of the FBI seems to have been somewhat infiltrated by a lot of this critical theory thinking because these people are all college graduates and they've all gone through the universities. And uh, I'm not saying all FBI agents are that way, but there seems to be a large element within them. I mean, uh, somebody, a NASCAR race driver, claimed that there was a noose hanging in his shop and it became headline news. Fifteen FBI agents show up to investigate this. It actually is the pull-down rope for the garage doors and they all the shops there have those loops tied there so you can grab it and pull it down. It's not a hangman's noose at all. Nobody put it there. It wasn't a racial crime or anything. It was It was totally bogus. Most of the times when people claim that the, these hate crimes are out there. Meanwhile, people are actually out there painting signs that are encouraging kill police, kill white people, tear down statues, set buildings on fire, rob stores. Hundreds, thousands of people pouring into stores to rob them. Somebody smashed in a bank. That's federal. Now, robbing a bank, that's a federal crime. And they're, even if you're just taking chairs and beating the... Uh, the safe with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I don't know how they were going to get into the safe, but uh, they were breaking into a Wells Fargo bank. Those are federal crimes. I don't see 15 FBI agents showing up to stop those. <laughs> but, but a rope hanging on a garage door, people think that's a crime. There's a serious, serious lack of critical thinking, and we're going to have to get into that. And see what's changing the hearts and minds of Americans when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, actually, I'm, I'm in the process of actually changing things even as we speak on <laughs> this article. Because I, I went and I had a link there to the article written by Rick Plaster. And uh, he was critiquing what much of what uh, was said by Shebe. In his article, he says, some choose to live, you know, and dealing with this, uh, the, the tyranny and uh, the oppression uh, that everybody imagines is going on in the world today. Uh, he says, some chose to live in communes away from the tyranny of capitalism. And he puts that in quotes, the tyranny of capitalism. Well, of course, critical thinking requires, we'll get into that eventually, we might do that in the afternoon program, critical thinking requires that we look into everything in depth enough so that we actually have an understanding of what we're looking at. If you're talking to somebody who disagrees with you or has a different opinion or is promoting some idea such as critical theory, 
you want to pin them down and hear them out on exactly what they think they're talking about. Because my experience, most of the people that are advocating critical theory or critical race theory, they don't actually even know what they're talking about. They, this is, this is the debate we're always seeing, you know, facts matter. And they're saying facts don't matter. But facts do matter. I mean, that's, in order to even follow the definition of critical theory, you have to be looking at the facts. Supposedly, that's what critical theory is doing, is uncovering the facts that a lot of other people aren't willing to look at. But what you find is people promoting these philosophies are actually avoiding facts. And if you actually start speaking facts, they try to shut you down. They don't want you, they don't want to hear you. They don't want to allow you to speak. This is what, you know, um, the uh, Barr, who is the uh, Attorney General, uh, came out and was just talking about these major tech organizations like Google and Facebook, etc. They all start as platforms saying that they're not publishers. They're just platforms. They're just giving other people the opportunity to speak. But then they go and they start censoring those people. And they do it with shadow censoring where you, you say something uh, that they don't like and share it with other people. They don't let other people see what you said. They keep that from you. Or they cover it with their fact checkers. This is a, the new thing that they've got going. That makes them a publisher because they're controlling, they're editing what you're saying that makes them a publisher. That's what publishers do. You know, you write a book and the editor comes along and says, well, don't say it this way. You got to say this different. You got to do, say more of this and less of that. Editors come along and do that. And sometimes it's to help you write better, but sometimes it's to censor what you have to say. In the case of uh, uh, Facebook, they're not going around correcting people's grammar. <laughs> They're going around and correcting people's thinking by not letting certain thoughts through. So they are a publisher. But anyway, so, uh, and they have a monopoly on what you're allowed to see and hear and think because they're keeping thoughts from you. So this idea that there's a tyranny of capitalism, there is no tyranny in capitalism. Capitalism is the absolute antithesis of tyranny. Capitalism means that the means of production, which most of that is your labor. Almost all of the means of production is your labor, is yours. It that's that's yours. Nobody has a right to take away your labor. Of course, we haven't had capitalism in the United States. Not true capitalism in the United States since at least 1913. We talk about what we have as an appearance of capitalism, but it's not real capitalism. Well, and certainly by 1933. Because you don't even have capital. You certainly don't have control over the means of production. You don't have sole control over the means of production if you don't even own 20% of your labor or you don't own 80% of your labor. If you have to give up 20% of your labor, which is the means of production, that's the antithesis of capitalism. So, but they talk about 
the tyranny of capitalism because they don't even know what they're talking about. They, you go ask somebody who thinks capitalism is bad and you ask them what the definition of capitalism is. And they won't give you. If you ask somebody what the definition of religion is, they'll probably give you a definition of what you think about God or going to church or, you know, uh, you know, be, uh, thinking, believing that there's a God. People who think they're atheists, they say, we don't believe in God, so we're not religious. But religion is the performance of your duty to your fellow man. All social social justice warriors are religious. Because they think they have a duty to their fellow man, and that is what religion was. They also have a God. He might be Karl Marx. <laughs> Karl Marx can do no wrong. Maybe it's some other socialist writer or somebody. They hold up on a pedestal. That's their God. And their religion is forcing the contributions of the people so that they can have free stuff. That's that's what their religion is. Theirs is the religion of force. They want to force the contributions of the people. Now, the reality is, if you want to be a socialist today, if you want to be a communist today, you can go out and and do exactly what Rick was saying. You can live in a commune. In America, right now, you can start a cooperative or or move into a socialist commune away from people. And you can read our book, The Free Church Report, and you can figure out how to do it and then just form it any old way you want. Just don't, uh, don't call me if you want to do it according to some way that is the antithesis of Christ. But the reality is there is no tyranny in capitalism. Uh, it has to, capitalism, because ha- it's, c- capitalism is not a political ideology. It just means what you produce is yours. And if you dig something out of the ground or you cut a tree down and you cut it up into firewood, you have a right to the lumber uh, that you produce. You cut it up into lumber, you have a right to that lumber because part of your labor is now in that lumber. Now, you may have to pay somebody for the tree who grew the tree. And that it can be a process of capitalism, but you can exchange, you can do all kinds of things. But you now have corporate capitalism. And the biggest corporation in corporate capitalism is the government. So you have to, you know, like if you cut down a tree and you uh, cut it up into firewood and you burn the firewood and you distill some wheat that you're making into whiskey... <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay something to the government because you cut down one of his trees. You say, well, wait a minute. I own these trees. I grew them all. But did you, when you were growing them all, did you own all your labor that you put into them? Did you own the land upon which you grew the trees? Well, no. That has all changed. You've had legal title, which is why we have... We can take this into greater and greater depth, but we're not going to do it right now. It's too big a rabbit trail. If you haven't been listening, you don't understand. All those audios are available. All the articles are available. And you can finally get the education they never gave you in public school if you want it. But if you don't want it, (laughs) well, 
then you're going to have to deal with something else. But uh, the reality is you can form that cooperative right now. You form a religious order that is based on communism. And you have all your, you can have, instead of having an order that is allowing free will choice amongst you, all the members of your order, you can have one that has a proletariat and a, uh, you know, a parliament and a, and a president. You can do that right now and you can all enter that and all the labor you, all the work you do and all the things that you're paid for, to do go into that order. And into that religious order, that communist Marxist religious order. And you can divide up the proceeds any way you guys see fit according to any rules that you want to write down. You can do that right now in the United States. And it, it's all tax free, reasonably so tax free, almost completely tax free, far more than a regular corporation if you want to go that extreme. But if you do not fashion it according to the purposes of Christ, it will self-destruct. But you can do that right now. But see, the p- promoters of of uh, critical theory and Marxism and communism, they don't want to just do that for themselves. They want to make you do it too. Because again, it's all about power with them. That their critical theory is a view of reality through the lens of power. That's what they want. They're really about power. Social justice was originally a Christian term. And you can go to our article on social justice and find out. Uh, It was a term that came out of a Jesuit order. Uh, A Jesuit was talking about it. But when he was talking about social justice, he was just talking about things that we could do to bring social justice about. Today... They want social justice at the point of a gun. And if you do not comply with their desire for so, what they call social justice, which is a right to stick their hand in your pocket, then they're going to burn your cities down. They actually said that. The head of Black Lives Matter said that. He's going to burn down. He's, he says you can speak, think of that as figuratively or an actuality, but uh, he actually said that. And, you know, at least two of the founders of Black Lives Matter are devout, trained Marxists. They believe in that. Marxism, socialism, is the antithesis of Christ. It's the antithesis of what Moses taught. It's the antithesis of what Abel and Seth were doing. It is in conformity with Cain and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar. It It is not in conformity to what Rome was originally, which was a republic. It was never really a pure republic, but it was pretty close. Most of the states were not pure republics, but they were pretty close. Certainly, the act of putting down the whiskey rebellion was not a republic idea. <laughs> it was an expansion of government power. And even though Washington did it, he had... Uh, had serious qualms about whether it was a good idea. Uh, but uh, they're tearing down statues of Washington now because he owns slaves. It's very clear if you read uh, his writings, you know, his personal writings, that uh, Washington wanted to do away with slavery. Jefferson wanted to do away with slavery. He, 
he actually produced a number of documents uh, to be ratified into law that would do away with a large amount of slavery. He wasn't he owned slaves, but he wanted to free them. But he wasn't allowed to free them by law, and he wanted to change the law to do that, and he was never able to do that. He couldn't free them until he was out of debt, and he never was able to get out of debt because he spent so much time serving liberty in America for free, without pay. <laughs> and he made a few financial decisions improperly, but uh, people don't understand what was going on. They, it's easy to judge history when you don't know it. When you don't know what... History is the story of individuals. And you you need to go back and study what those that history was in order to pass judgment on it. Critical thinking requires that. You want to know the details. You don't want to rush to judgment. Like in the case of George uh, uh, Floyd or uh, what was the other fellow, Elijah McLean. Uh, people people thought, oh, they, they were rioting back in when that was in August and September of 2019 when he w- died in police custody. He didn't actually die in police custody. He didn't seem to die of the police uh, stopping him and questioning him. He died uh, of a reaction to the drugs that were given to him by the ambulance drivers because he was he was really out of control. He had some serious, serious mental issues. If all of his neighbors were actual real Christians... And pursuing Christianity in the way of Christ, he would not have died. You would not have had a problem with the police. But the same is true of George Floyd, who thinks he was becoming a Christian. But we can go back to Shebe and Rick Plaster. And they're trying to figure out how to confront critical theory in a Christian world. How do we respond to it? Well... The reality is you don't have a Christian world. Because Christians aren't doing what aren't doing what Christ said to do. They're not following the structure of Christianity that Christ laid out. They're not following the practices of Christianity that Christ laid out. They're actually to a great extent many of the Christians right now are following the pattern laid out by the Pharisees at the time of Herod the Great. And I don't want to say all Pharisees throughout history because Pharisees were doing different things at different times. But the Pharisees, uh, generally speaking, as a political party, because that's what it was, it was a political party in Judea, was following a structure of government that was making the word of God to none effect Most Christians, people claiming to be Christian today, are following the same pattern that the Pharisees were following, the same structure that the Pharisees were following, which is the antithesis of pure religion and is making the word of God to none effect. If you're hearing us for the first time, you never heard that before, you need to go and find out what we're talking about. Because that structure is absolutely evident in today's modern Christian church and society, which is that structure is more like the Pharisees than the early church. 
So that's why they're finding it difficult to how do you respond to the critical theory and critical race theory and and all the stuff that's going on. How do you protect, you know, people think, oh, we're going to protect people from police brutality, even if it doesn't really exist in any great degree. I mean, it exists. And cops make mistakes. But doctors kill way more people than cops do. And count even ratio speaking, you know, cops have to go out and arrest 10 million people a year. And uh, I actually have some statistics on that. I closed that already. I could go through and, and show you how many interactions that police officers have with the public and how many times they have to take somebody into custody and how many times people are injured. Doctors injure more people. <laughs> and uh, they're not nearly under the same difficulties and stress and uh, and uh, uh, problems that uh, a police officer... A police officer has to wrestle his patient to the ground sometimes and sometimes people get hurt. Uh, occasionally, you know, very few doctors have to worry about a patient suddenly pulling out a gun and shooting him. Uh, cops have to do that with almost everybody. They stop. <laughs> they have to keep that in the back of their mind. So actually, we have a remarkable police force. But you would not want to defund the police. That would be a stupid thing. But if you were real Christians, you would not need so many policemen. And they would have a much easier job of it. And there would be a lot less uh, mistakes in the police department and in police uh, interactions with the public, if all the people that said they were Christians or said they believed in Jesus were actually doing what Jesus said, they were actually doers of the word. Because they're not right now. Most of the people claiming to be Christians are not. And we can prove that easily. So, anyway... Right now, you have the freedom in America to become an absolute total socialist with your group. You don't have the power to make everybody else a socialist. But the reality is that's what they're fighting for. That's what they're working towards. So there's another thing called repressive tolerance. The repressive tolerance grows in the seed of vanity and the pride not and pride and not humility and sacrifice. So this, what is repressive tolerance? This uh, idea of repressive tolerance is that we tolerate the oppression of our neighbor. And uh, we, we tolerate the abuse of our neighbor. There are people yelling at the police uh, when they were arresting George Floyd and all this stuff. And so one of the police officers had to stand and keep an eye on the crowd that somebody didn't go and run and do something that could jeopardize everybody there. Anyway, this idea of repressive tolerance is this passive acceptance of social and government practices, policies, and actions which restrict freedom in an absolute sense. Okay, what what does that all mean? Repressive tolerance grows in this seed of vanity and pride, not humility and sacrifice. That's uh, and I have a further definition, and you can go and uh, there in the footnote and it talks about this is also out of the Frankfurt School with guys like Herbert Marcuse and 
and uh, other people who've written about the idea of this repressive tolerance. Well, the the fact that you have public schools, uh, we have a public school here in this community, and I was just sharing with a, a neighbor that, you know, 30 years ago I I was talking to one of the employees at the local public school who was bragging about the fact that they did not teach history in school anymore. Because he thought that was a complete waste of time. What do we care about what the Romans did 2,000 years ago? That has nothing to do with our lives today. That idea is why you have riots in the street today. You haven't taught people. The reason you study history is to know the future. They can't figure out what's going wrong in America, but they they have no example. They're going to have to learn everything the hard way because they can't learn from the mistakes of the past because they didn't study the past. You study the past to know the future. And so I can tell you that right now the United States is in the same decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which the Christians thrived during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire because those Christians were actually doing what Christ said to do. The study of history includes Christ. It includes what the Christians were doing. Why they were persecuted. Why they survived as Rome decayed and collapsed. Why the, this great civilization that had risen up with uh, all kinds of education and prosperity and, and everything in that society. Why did it declay, de, de, decline into, I hate to say, perfect Barbarism, actually, how did they become perfect savages? Riots in their streets, murder and mayhem, killing and a lust for blood almost in the streets. How did they get to that point? Well, they got to that point by the same things that that fellow who worked for the school system advocates today. And they're going back and more and more and, and what and what this critical theory advocates today. This is what destroyed Rome. So, And they don't see it because they're not willing to see their, themselves. So what's an example of repressive tolerance? Well, you know, not keeping an eye on the police. This is an example they would give. That we're not, uh, you know, trying to keep our police force, you know, you're accepting them as right or wrong. The military. Like the military can do no wrong. Well, the military can do wrong. Your government says, oh, we have to invade Iraq. We have to invade these different countries over there, Afghanistan. Do we really have to do that? No. But repressive tolerance is you tolerate them to do that. You allow them to do that. George Bush was thinking we have to go in in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, and he gave you reasons why, and people let him do it. But they, the reasons he gave you were lies, and it caused the death of million people and more, and the destruction of a whole nation. Uh, I mean, we dropped more bombs on Iraq than we dropped during World War II. More firepower on Iraq. And people died. And infrastructure was destroyed. And it's been costing us millions and millions of dollars to rebuild it. And we're not going to get much thank for it. So that's a kind of an example of repressive tolerance. Where you tolerate something that is actually repressing somebody else. It didn't really free anybody. It didn't really do 
the good that we would like to think. And so that comes about because you lack critical thinking. But well, let's see some other examples of repressive tolerance. Public school, where that guy worked. They were not teaching all of your neighbors, children, history. I, like I said uh, a week ago, I was talking about principal, a guy who made his living as a principal. And he said to me uh, in a private conversation, he says, you generally think that public schools do a pretty good job, that we do a pretty good job with teaching the kids. I said, no. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> you know, because we're friends. No. If you were doing a good job, you wouldn't have 75% of the kids graduating from high school thinking socialism is good. They have no knowledge of history. Very little knowledge of what they need to know in literature or math. And that's because of the public school. And we tolerated that. That's repressive tolerance. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, before I started talking about repressive tolerance, uh, I wrote a little bit in here about uh, liberation theology, which is the first introduction to that was uh, uh, somebody sent me a book. I think it was named Keys to the Kingdom, actually. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I can remember the name of the book. But it was written by a Jesuit who's kind of a rebellious Jesuit who was saying that there was serious corruption in the Catholic Church. And... Uh, Anyway, but he mentioned liberation theology. I, I, I got this huge, big, thick book in in the mail, and like people always wanted me to read this book or read that book, and I thought like I can't read this old book. <laughs> and I was pretty much all read out. I still do a lot of reading, but uh, uh, so I, I just took the book and I just fan the pages just like you do with a deck of cards you know you just see the pages fanning by and all of a sudden I saw one page and I stopped and I looked on that page and I saw one paragraph almost like it was lit up and I read the paragraph and the paragraph was about liberation theology and uh, I'd never heard of it at that time and so then I I read the paragraph and I thought this is really true This is this is interesting this is important this is the Kodak moment and I thought, well, maybe I should read the book. And well, I read and I read and I read and read, never found anything else of interest to me. <laughs> I mean, there were things that might be of interest to other people, but I did not find it interest to me because I already knew that. I already knew clearer than that into uh, that that Jesuit. And so, anyway, uh, I think he's passed away now. But anyway, uh, liberation theology began back in the 1960s, but the oppression of the poor is not the number one consequences of idolatry. It is the oppression of the middle class and even the rich to provide free bread, which was the number one consequences of idolatry. And uh, I have links there to our article on idolatry so you can understand what idolatry is. It's putting those people up on pedestals is idolatry. And, you know, like the statues even, you could call those idolatry, but I don't want people to confuse that. Oh, we talked, toppled over the statues, so now we've toppled over idolatry. No, you're still a bunch of idolaters. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I can almost guarantee those people toppling over the statues are, are committing the sin of idolatry in the process. So, uh, they are, you know, they are not the iconoclasts of society that are, 
that's where the word iconoclast comes from. Is the guys are running around smashing icons, but uh, the icons that you need to smash is the ideologies that people hold up as true that just ain't so. So it was the forced contributions of foreigners originally and then eventually citizens to provide social security and the free bread of Rome that gave rise to idolatry. And uh, so anyway, then you have this critical theory focuses on the thoughts and assumptions of people have about that, about what justice is, what's right and fair. And uh, they're actually, all the people that are talking about this, social justice warrior is the ultimate enforcer of oppression. That's why they don't want you to speak. They they want to censor what you have to say. They want to shout you down. They are the oppressors. They say they have a right to do that because you're an oppressor because you actually have an idea about freedom and liberty, <laughs> like capitalism. But they don't even understand. They don't take the time to understand because they're actually motivated out of the same spirit of people like Hitler and the Nazis and uh, the same spirit. They may take a slightly different form, but uh, you know that they are the mouths of the future because they don't understand what religion is. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, and pure religion is to do that unspotted by the constitutional order and system of of the world, the government that uses force. John the Baptist wasn't going to use force. He wanted a daily ministration, but not by force, but by charity. Uh, so, in fact, this intersectionality is the antithesis of Christianity. In Romans twelve or Romans ten twelve, it says, "For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, and the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him." His sheep hear his voice. And his voice is not promoting critical theory. It's promoting critical thinking. And Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the antithesis of critical theory. That says, oh yes, there's race, there's class, there's nationalities, there's genders. Uh, no. Now, now, when he says there's no more male or, nor female, it doesn't mean we all get to use the same restroom. <laughs> you still get to have private use of restrooms. Uh, but anyway, so this representative Tolerance, where are the other examples of rep uh, repressive, excuse me, repressive tolerance? Where are some of the other examples of repressive tolerance? Well, I said public school. You tolerate the idea of taking money from the local widows under threat of losing their home if they don't pay into your school. You allow teachers to force not teaching your kids about history. You have teachers forcing ideologies about intersectionality and that there are 78 different genders and that socialism is good and capitalism is bad. All these things are being taught in your school and 
you allow that repression of your children's mind. Can we think of more examples? People forcing people to wear face masks because they have not done the study. We have a whole uh, study on coronavirus. It's not. It's actually the information coming out now. It's less lethal than we even thought. I was figuring in some places that the death toll uh, from this flu virus, which is all it is, and people want to say there is no viruses. And I absolutely agree that you won't get sick if you are the picture of health and everything is working right in your body. If you get get exposed to the virus, you may not have any symptoms whatsoever. Very few people will have symptoms. Almost nobody will have severe symptoms. And even a tiny little amount will die from this less than a regular flu. So it's not a serious virus at all. Yet, it's shut down the whole world economy. Do you think that's actually what's happening? No, that's not actually what's happening. That's the excuse they're giving you. But I'm talking about this repressive tolerance where people are shaming and yelling and refusing service to people who aren't wearing masks. These are going to be the same people that want to force vaccinations. Will hold down children, hold down adults and force synthetic vaccinations into their body Uh, or shut the shades and windows when they see an injustice taking place and then after the injustice takes place they will accuse the person who actually stopped the injustice rather than the actual accuser because the actual I mean the actual perpetrator the actual perpetrator is more frightening so they won't say anything to him This all comes about because you lack critical thinking. Because you haven't done away with that egocentrism. Uh, You are selfish people. You are not living by this idea of humility and sacrifice. Repressive tolerance grows in the seed of vanity and pride. People, you know, I'm not against America. I'm all for it. But you have to caution yourself. When you start yelling USA, 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 it makes you feel good and everything like that. But you, the fact is the USA is a corporate government and it can make mistakes. It can get you to invade countries we have no business invading. It can get you to do all kinds of things if you put your loyalty to the institution rather than righteousness. We're supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we also do other things that Christ did, which he commanded us to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start to love our neighbor as ourself with uh, private sacrifice through charity, which takes a certain amount of humility and a certain amount of forgiveness to take care of one another through charity instead of through force, he instituted the church. That's the only other institution of God, was the institution of the church. He put all kinds of restrictions on the church, none of which are being applied today. He gave them a specific mission, none of which they are doing today, generally speaking. I, I could say there are maybe some out there doing what they're supposed to be doing. But most of them are not doing what the early church did. As a matter of fact, people have to go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other in order to get the benefits of socialist religion rather than pure religion, which is supposed to be taking care of all those things through faith, hope, and charity. 
Instead, the modern Christian takes care of those things through force, fear, and fealty, which is why they have become merchandise and curse their children with debt. They're not real Christians. They do not have the structure that Christ left us. But we're not to worship the structure. We're to worship God. So we have to be seeking this kingdom of God and his righteousness and we should do it by the institutions of God just the same as we pound a nail with the institution of a hammer or uh, we cut a board with the institution of a saw. It's a tool. It's not what we are loyal to. You do not belong to the church. We want you to belong to God. But God gave us, explained to us over and over again in metaphor and allegory and proverbs and parables and the specific instructions of Christ how we are to structure our society to take care of one another without oppressive structures. Critical theory will not eliminate oppressive structures nor create a unified society without both a critical and moral study of an honest and reflective assessment of and critique of society and culture, but mostly critique of our own selves. We have to be willing to admit that we are wrong in order to repent. And, and I, I always go back to Polybius because for those who don't, want to hear from religious philosophers hear from Polybius he says the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others which is the essence of socialism and communism institute the rule of violence force we're going to force the contributions of the people like Saul force the sacrifice of the people and now uniting their forces massacre banish and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. That's where we're at. I heard a, a very bright, young, uh, black individual talking uh, with uh, an interview. And uh, the interviewer was pointing out that the black community is having all the difficulties it is having today because of the breakdown of the family. It's not because of systemic racism. Systemic racism doesn't exist. There is some racism out there. There always will be. You can't legislate that away. Those are individual. But systemic racism has pretty much been done away with the Civil Rights Act. It's not a part of the system. If somebody's being racist and depriving you of the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness based on race, that's against the law. And if you were doing what Christ said to do, you would have the tens, hundreds, and thousands protecting you from that. But you're not doing what Christ said to do, and the churches aren't doing what Christ said to do, so then you have a problem. But he was saying that the the, the problems in the black community and the, uh, the, the amount of people on welfare in the black community is due to the breakdown of the family. But the reality is, is the amount of welfare in the community is due to the breakdown of the family because of the amount of welfare in the community which is breaking down the family. It's a, it's an endless cycle that they've created. How did the black community, and one the interviewer did point it out with at least one 
point where he said they targeted the black community. Who targeted the black community? Well, of course, LBJ did because he was trying to buy votes with his war on poverty. But the real culprits are people like uh, Cloward and Piven. And we have articles up that tell you who Cloward and Piven. They, they visited the White House many times under Obama. Their goal was a Marxist, uh, communist United States. And they wrote about it. And they said what they were going to do is get as many people as possible on the welfare rolls and bankrupt the system. Everything they could do to bankrupt the system, to destroy America, they were going to do. And they have been doing it for 50 years. And they weren't the first ones that started, but they were very outspoken about it. They've written literally the Mein Kampf on the subject. But people don't realize that. They don't know that. They don't, you're not going to hear it in the news. And the reason you're listening to the news and the news is getting away with what they're getting away with is you don't understand critical thinking. So oppression is not the result of capitalism, but the choice of those slothful in love. Full of vanity. Not willing to sacrifice for the good of their neighbor. They don't love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. They might love their country. They might love their government. They might love their religion. But their religion is not the religion of Christ because it's not doing what Christ said to do. Exodus 22.21 says, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. If you're forcing your neighbor to pay taxes on his property or lose his home, that's the choice he has. In order for you to have free education for your kids, uh, free police for your kids, free fire department for your kids, uh, free cemetery for your, your loved ones, care for the cemetery for your loved ones, public cemetery. All these things I've seen go on. Uh, actually, we don't have, we have a volunteer fire department, but uh, in the valley to the north, they put everybody on the tax roll so they could build this big fire department, which is really their community hall. So they were absolutely content with oppressing their na- not only the stranger, but their neighbor in order to, uh, you know, uh, have the benefits that they wanted. And you were a stranger in, supposedly a stranger in Egypt. What that, that means, gives you an idea of what the stranger means. That, uh, you are willing to put your neighbor into bondage to you. So you can have free education for your children. So why are you surprised that you are in bondage today? You're back in Egypt again. Exodus 23.9 goes into the same thing. Also, thou shalt not oppress the stranger, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. You're back in Egypt again. Except it's worse for you. In Egypt, it was 20% of what you, your labor belonged to the state. Now, it's way more than 20%. Leviticus 25.14 And if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught, of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. So, again, in America today, they're oppressing one another. That, that, they're tolerant of that repression because it gets them the benefits they want. That's anti-Christ. That's anti-Moses. 
Moses was saying, don't do it. Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. All the socialists, they just want, they think they're promising, we will only oppress the rich. We will only force the rich to pay their fair share. The math doesn't work out, but they didn't teach a math in school either. You're oppressing one another. You have created a structure that you oppress one another. You have to repent of that oppression. And the way to do that is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which will provide you with all the necessary benefits and salvations of life through faith, hope, and charity, rather than force, fear, and fealty. You see, you you are under fealty today. Because you had to sign up to get these benefits. If you want to be separate, you have to turn around and think a different way. That's what repentance means. And start moving in that other direction. I'll tell you flat out, there's no way to get back. Absolutely no way to get back without a miracle. It will take the power of God to get you back to liberty again. But you have to start realizing that what you're doing now is oppressing the people in your society. Proverbs 14.31 He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. So we would have mercy on the poor if we were taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. That doesn't mean the poor are going to get a check just because they're poor. I can give you all kinds of examples where the present system is weakening the poor. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is that in a time of affluence, they weaken the poor. They had socialism. They had social welfare. They had free bread, just like they had free bread in Rome. But that weakened the poor. And of course, back to that young gentleman who was talking with the interviewer, he doesn't realize the reason the community has gone from literally, uh, well, in the 60s, they were at about 27% of the children being raised in single parent families to 74, 75% today. But if you go all the way back to the 20 years after slavery, it was only like 3% of the children in single parent families. 3%. Now, he says, well, why isn't that happening in the white community? It is in some white communities uh, because they targeted certain poor communities that were like the Appalachians and other places in parts of Chicago and places like that, Detroit. But they they wanted the black vote and they got it. Everybody moved from Republican to Democrat. And not that that is the solution. Again, our solution is clearly the kingdom of God. You don't have to change parties. I don't care whether you change parties or not. I'm not political. I'm people-oriented. And people who are willing to allow their neighbor to make choices, who will not decide to rule over his neighbor, like Gideon. See how I bring all these things back to things I mentioned at the beginning? Gideon, I and my family will not rule over you. Christ created a structure, a social structure, where you did not rule over your neighbor. Where you came together for the purposes of the practice of faith, hope, and charity, rather than that force, fear, and fealty. This is why you go to church. So that you can learn to practice pure religion, taking care of one another in humility and sacrifice, because you will need that 
in order to go into the next process of full critical thinking. And then you will not be subject to the press. You will not be subject to the politics. But it will still take that miracle to save you. People want to know, what can we do about this coming forced vaccination that they're trying to force on us? They may not get away with it this time. I don't know. But you can definitely see the trends going. You know, if you jump halfway across a precipice, you fall. If you jump two-thirds of the way across a precipice, you fall. If you jump nine-tenths of the way across a precipice, you fall. You, If you want to seek the kingdom of God, you cannot do it half-heartedly. So, in James 2, 5, we see, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? He's talking about, he's saying this because there was this system of Corbin that had been set up already. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and ye do well. That is what you're supposed to be doing in church. But we've got a lot more to go through on this, and then we'll try to get into critical thinking, but we'll have to do that this afternoon. Join the network at hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com, and we'll see you there. Till then, God bless. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.